First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Welcome in to the DNVR Avalanche podcast. Today we mourn the loss of an Avalanche legend, one of the men who helped build some of the greatest Avalanche teams ever in Pierre Lacroix. Lacroix, can't even say his name. That's the Rudo curse right there. I am Rudo, as always, joined by AJ Hayfley. And for today's show, back on the podcast, Adrian Dater. AD, first of all, how are you doing? And uh, good to have you. Well, thanks for having me, gentlemen. Uh, and you too, AJ. Um, it's a pleasure to be on the airwaves here. Uh, I wish it were under happier circumstances for sure. Uh, hopefully we can do a Stanley Cup wrap-up uh, podcast or something next next summer. But, uh, yeah, uh, I'm honored to be able to come on and talk about a man who uh, really uh, deserves a lot of honors. And and hopefully uh, I can do that justice here with you guys. See, Pierre Lacroix was uh, somebody I definitely uh, have nothing but just unbelievable memories with and uh, hope to share some of them right here with you guys. Yeah, for sure. I I assume most Avs fans know, but if you are a little bit younger, maybe not a face you recognize. Pierre Lacroix was the general manager of the Avs for a decade between their first season through about 2006, I believe. So he yep. literally built the two Stanley Cup championship Avs teams and some yep. of those legendary teams in between. Yep. Nine straight division titles his first nine years on the job. That's Is that pretty good, guys? Or I don't know. Is that... I mean... <laughs> guess it's okay getting yeah. an NHL record not too shabby <laughs> I I thought it was an all-time record but I think John Sherholtz of the Atlanta Braves had 10 um yeah. I think he's since broke out I think it was a record at the time but uh yeah so but it's still a hockey record and uh you know good luck anybody trying to beat that uh nine in the first nine years <laughs> um he was uh he was a winner you know he uh he wasn't always uh you know, I mean, didn't win every year, but he he always went for it. That's to me, that's what Pierre was always about. Was his just you know he he did not believe in um, anything less than the best shot at winning a Stanley Cup every year. Uh, now maybe that you can be argued that that could have hurt the future cupboard a little bit, but you know that's just the way Pierre was. And um, argue about it or not, debate it. Uh, those two Stanley cup banners hang in the, in the, in the, I'm sorry, ball arena now uh, when so many teams in the league do not have any Stanley cup banners, <clears throat> Minnesota wild. Uh, and uh, you know, that's what we, that's his legacy right there winning. 
Yeah, two Stanley Cup banners a lot better than a number one's fan banner. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you br- you bring up a good point. Certainly, you know, under Joe Sackick, his moves have always been a lot more tempered so far in his his career as the Avs GM. Whereas Lacroix was Lacroix was a very very aggressive his entire GMing career. If he thought someone could make the team better, he would go out and get a trade done. Yep. Well, and he, you know, he had to. He had a different team dealt to him than, uh, than Joe Sackick did, too. I mean, um, you know, uh, he took over the Quebec Nordiques uh, in 1993, 94 season. And um, I'm sorry, 94, 95 season. And, um, you know, they were rebuilding still a little bit, but they'd also, they were also, you know, a team that, was starting to get a little better. It was it made the playoffs that season, won the Eastern uh, regular season title anyway. That that season, uh, he started off his t- tenure there with a, with a huge blockbuster with Wendell Clark to the Maple Leafs uh, for uh, I'm sorry, Wendell Clark to the Nordiques for Matt Sundin and that whole thing. Um, Sylvain Lafay, everything came to Quebec, um, and yeah, that's what he. He didn't waste any time. He he thought he had a team on the rise, and he wanted to get it turbocharged. Uh, then when it moves to Denver, you know, he 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 did what he did from there, and we'll talk about his moves. But, I mean, obviously, he uh, he didn't waste any time making deals either here in Denver. He made – the first big one was uh, the Claude Lemieux deal, I believe, first. Then it was the Sandus Ozelinch trade. Then it was Patrick Waugh, all within – the first uh, two months of on the job and <laughs> there were three pretty big moves that kind of helped out that team win that first cup. Um, and Pierre was just, uh, he, uh, he used to tell me, you know, I, I'm just a I'm guy who loves to make deals. You know, I, I, I go past the house with a for sale sign on it and I instantly want to pull over and make a deal with the owner, you know, talk price. And he literally was like that. You know, everything was a negotiation with him. Everything was uh, the the fun of the deal. You know, he got so bored with lack of anything. He he just you could see you could see his uh, you could see the goosebumps practically come on his skin every time every year every year when the trade deadline got near. You know, and uh, he knew he was up to something. He didn't let anybody know, of course, not even his own family. I don't think, um, but you knew he was up to something and you knew he was going to go for it. Um, we just were conditioned to that right away in Denver. Yeah. I think the, the fearlessness uh, for him to make hard decisions, to make big decisions, you know, this is a guy that traded Chris Drury yeah. after, after the start, the Drury had to his career in Colorado. And I mean, we, we all know that that in hindsight, it was a nightmare, but the stones it took, to make a move like that, you know, and his willingness to, you know, to, to go big and to go bold. I mean, the guy acquires four first rounders in the hopes of trying to, to trade all the way up to number one and get Vincent Lecavalier, you know, like the guy, the guy was just a, he was a legend and his willingness to wheel and deal at the absolute highest level of the league. I, I don't think has been matched since his departure. Oh, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, there's been some very big trades, but uh, not all by the same guy and right. it's succession. Uh, you know, there was the Wah trade, of course, but 
you know, there were others. I mean, Theo Fleury trade was a, <laughs> a blockbuster. Yeah. Um, didn't work out as well as, as he wanted, probably. But people do forget that they made the Western Finals with Theo Fleury. I think Theo Fleury had, uh, you know, like 15 playoff points or something in 15 games. I mean, it was pretty good numbers when you looked back on it. They went to game seven of the Western Finals. It wasn't exactly a disaster after they got him. Of course, yeah, Robin Regeer would have looked good in an half sweater in future years, but he went for it there. Um, then there was the Rob Blake trade. I mean, that that worked out pretty well, even though at the time it was very controversial. Adam Deadmarsh going to the Kings. I mean, the guy had just had twins who uh, were premature births, and the mother was having trouble, and off he goes to L.A. all of a sudden, too. I mean, talk about a tough trade to make he he told said later i think he he said uh, i think terry fry reported this that he was you know he quoted him saying that was his toughest trade ever to sit him down and you know say hey uh <laughs> i got some bad news here kid uh we're trading you um team that was on the doorstep of another cup but uh that worked out that's exactly what they needed was a rob blake and uh of course yeah. the, the next year they get ray bork <laughs> uh on and on it went. I mean, even he never made a trade for Peter Forsberg, um, you know, but, you know, he saw that whole thing happen too. And then he, he kind of engineered that whole thing, getting him back. A lot of people forget that he was involved in getting Peter back and talking him back uh, 2008, I believe. You know, he wasn't the GM then, but he was still had a role with the team. And trust me when I tell you that he, I think he did most of the legwork getting that deal done for and Francois Jaguar got the you know the credit, but uh, you know that was that was that was Pierre doing most of the legwork there. I think uh, I think most of us have always just assumed that that was the case. Yeah, no uh, no disrespect to Francois Jaguar, but who, by the way, they, it's like did he even exist here? I mean, <laughs> Francois Jaguar tenure was like kind of came and went, didn't it? Yeah, it was is kind of a footnote in history where if you were to ask even the most diehard of Avs fans to name the Avs GMs, well, that was, guy is harder to remember than uh, Greg Sherman. He was just so quiet. He never, I mean, he's so awkward around the media and, and people in general, really. That, you know, just, yeah, anyway, that was, but he was, he succeeded Pierre. Um, yeah, no, Pierre was, Pierre was one of a kind, man. He was, uh, you know, just sad. I mean, he, I don't know what the, you know, cause, exact cause of death is, but I mean, it, I guess he had he contracted COVID, and uh, um, you know, apparently he was getting over that though. Uh, but then you know, he had a heart thing yesterday, and uh, um, you know, it just sucks, you know, because I mean, you know, here we are with a vaccine almost around the corner here. Um, yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's it's too bad. I, Pierre was, Pierre was always, you know, Pierre had a lot of health issues and he talked about his health a lot. And he always said, like, he kind of said to me a couple of times, like he didn't think he was going to live a long life really. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think he'd probably been, if I told him he was going to live to 72 back in, back in the nineties, when he used to talk about health, he, he probably would have been happy with that in a way, but you know, it's still, I don't think you, I think he was, healthier than he'd been in a long time these last couple of years. That's the thing that sucks the most. And, you know, um, 
know, but you know, things happen fast, obviously, and uh, yeah, it's a it's a big loss. Yeah, I think uh, the vacuum uh, that he left when just the hole that he left in the game when he decided to step away, you know, the the salary cap era obviously made his job harder to do because there had yep. to be a lot more, a, a lot less living in the moment and oh, yeah. a lot less of the uh, riverboat gambler every trade deadline. You know, ELCs became extremely yep. valuable and and all those future pieces that he loved to trade away. He loved to trade for and away because uh, he, I mean, there were some draft classes where the guy had accumulated an, yeah. an incredible number of draft picks. Yeah, uh, it's he just he loved to make those deals, and the salary cap era just sort of changed the landscape of the league and changed the way that uh, he had to operate, and it just didn't just it was just never quite the same for him. Yeah, if, if there's one guy who got really screwed by the canceled season of oh four oh five, it was Pierre Lacroix. Um, who would have ever thought that the cap would go down so drastically coming out of that season, uh, into that 05 season? I mean, to $39 million was the cap number that year. Yeah. I mean, they had they had that in like – they had half that cap in two guys, basically, yeah. Sackick and Blake. Um, you know, Wah had left a couple years before and taken them some money away, but you know they still had other guys like Hayduke and um, you know some really big name guys still. And of course, Peter Forsberg and Adam Foot were two of them too. Just happened to be in their contract years coming out of that, so they had to sacrifice Forsberg and Foot, and that was, I mean obviously it was just a nightmare. Um, yeah. He did good nostalgia with Patrice Brisebois and Pierre Turgeon, but obviously that was just a pale comparison. And um, you know, it uh, it's too bad because he he would have found a way, I think, to to definitely keep Ford. Right? I mean, if it only been just a few more million, let's say it was forty three million or something, Pierre would have found a way to keep Bopa and Foot. I don't know Foot necessarily. I think Foot was ready to leave for some other reasons anyway and wanted to get and try something new. But, uh, you know, Forsberg never should have left. And then, you know, Peter, uh, Pierre was never, I mean, that was the hardest thing for him ever was having to say goodbye to Peter Forsberg. Um, basically had his hand forced on him by a, by a ridiculous noose cap number. Uh, but you know, that's, that's the way it was, and he, uh, you know, the, the amazing thing to me was the Avs are still a pretty good team those next couple of years, really. I mean, <laughs> he still made some pretty good moves that helped the Avs get back to the playoffs, at least. Uh, they didn't make the playoffs in that 05 season, right, 05, 06? Yep. Uh, and, you know, I know they missed it one year, but, you know, they had a pretty – they still were, you know, pretty – I mean, look at back to 2008, I mean – Remember the lineup they used to have? They got Fopa back. They got four. They had foot. Uh, Ryan Smith was on their third line. You know, uh, Stasny, Sackett, Andrew Burnett. You know, Hayduk. <laughs> Pretty good team still. Um, but yeah, it was. Uh, it was the salary cap was the worst thing that ever happened to Pierre Lacroix. Really, uh, when it came to doing his job, and 
it wasn't a coincidence probably that he stepped down a year later. We do have to take our first period break here. We are sponsored by Breckenridge Brewery. Pour one out for Pierre Lacroix today if you have one. If you're looking for it, you can use the Breck Beer Locator online to find some beer near you. And if you want to take your mind off things, you can always play some WGT Golf as well. They have their digital golf game both on your phone or on your computer. You can play either way. Search for DNVR4 to join our clubhouse. We have almost a 1,000 members when you download the game from dnvrgolf.com. Yeah, don't want to take too much away from Pierre. We do have sponsors, though, that we do have to shout out, of course. Uh, but the main topic of the day is, is Pierre Lacroix, so... We'll keep it short, keep it brief, and, and jump back into this conversation. Um, LaCroix really did build. When you look at the players that came through Colorado before the salary cap, I mean, Dave Anderchuk, you guys already mentioned Theo Fleury, and, and a bunch of the other Hall of Fame or borderline Hall of Fame players that played for Colorado in that time. It's... It's incredible to think how good even even the teams that didn't win the cup would go on to be known. The players on those teams, Korea and Solani, the the most famous super team built there that that didn't work out. But just amazing how effective Lacroix was at going out and getting true superstar talent. Yeah, I mean he, he got a, he got almost all the big names. <laughs> That's. So- Several-year period. I mean, the Detroit got some big names too, obviously, and uh, they did very well for themselves. But uh, boy, Pierre was. Uh... Now the argument is, you know, yeah, Pierre did tend to, uh, you know, arguably gave away the story a little bit too much on a couple of those deals. But again, you know, you go back to the fact that they, he he actually did win two cups basically because of two of those trades. You know, there's no way they win the first cup obviously without wah or the second frankly um and they don't win the cup without blake and uh and ben bork in 01 um so those are all acquisitions that made by pierre um that's that's what you look back on in the end and say you know geez there are the banners you know that's what you feel pride in when you're an avalanche fan is that there they are you know we won uh we can say we're champions unlike the Minnesota wild. And, um, it, it's, uh, it's great. You know, that's what it's all about to me as a fan. That's all I, I care about. I don't, you know, I know, uh, you know, the fans, a lot of them want to always keep be saving for that rainy day in the future and all that, you know, I, maybe I'm older and that's Pierre was more my age, you know, <laughs> and it's, well, he's older than me, but, um, you know, I, I always felt like, just go for it. You know, let's always just roll the dice. You know, that's what sports is about. Now, yeah, you don't want to make something stupid and trade away, you know, um, Jeff Bagwell for Larry Anderson, like an old Red Sox team of mine did once. But, you know, you get my point. And, you know, people do forget that Pierre would stockpile those draft picks for, for years. I mean, the fact that they had four first-round picks in 1998 two years after winning a Stanley cup with all that young talent that they'd already had, the fact that they had four first rounders was like, you almost, you felt really guilty being an abs fan. Like this, this is, this is unfair. You know, what are we going to do with all this stuff? Well, it turned out that, you know, 
two of those guys, they didn't, they wanted, yeah, he wanted to trade them all for LeCavier. He tried hard to do it, but Phil Esposito just wasn't going to do it. And uh, yeah, it still worked out. Three, what, three, three of the four picks ended up winning cups with the Avalanche. Tangay, Skula, Scott Parker technically did too. And, uh, geez, who's the, who's the fourth guy I'm missing here? Uh, Robin yeah. Regeer. Who? Yeah. Regeer was the fourth. Oh, right. Yeah. Right. Robin Regeer was the other one. Um, he won a cup too, albeit with the LA Kings, but yeah. Um, so, um, you know, it's unbelievable. You look back to all the stuff Pierre pulled off and the stuff he did. He just, he was, he was just an active GM. That's, that's, he never, I mean, and to cover those teams, I mean, you know, <laughs> you know, there's a reason why I probably like to this day, I'm like, anytime the phone rings, I just jump a little bit because I always thought, oh, there's a trade, you know, <laughs> you got to clear out what you just wrote and rewrite another thing because here comes another one. And uh, boy, it was fun though, right? Being a newsman in those days and writing all those stories about the trades. I mean, it was just one headline after another, you know. Uh, and uh, it, it was just fun, man. That's the word that comes to mind, fun. Yeah, I know that you uh, you and Pierre had some uh, had some interesting dynamics over the years too, huh? Yeah. Yeah, we it wasn't always wine and roses, that's for sure. Um, you know, I just wrote a thing today about, you know, my deeper memories being around him and what he was like. Uh what uh you know um yeah he was he was this you know guy from Quebec uh I was I would myself was a guy from the east myself but you know um I was a rookie reporter he was a so almost a rookie GM I mean uh, there was a lot of things we went to, through together at the same time that were really unique to us like we both came to Denver and started this being around this thing called the Colorado avalanche all of a sudden, and probably two years before none of us would ever dream was even possible. And, uh, um, he, uh, you know, I remember him just so full of life and, and, and he was so friendly in the beginning. He, he was, uh, I don't think he quite understood the role of, uh, what American media did at times in those early years is, I think he, you know, not that Canadian media is light on the teams in Canada, but I think he thought that, you know, the the press is maybe more supposed to be, you know, on the team in a way. You know, you're supposed to be nice to your team you cover and not criticize. <laughs> and I don't think he always understood that, just frankly, the first year or two. And, and uh, you know he was so outgoing and friendly and wanting to put us on the team plane and Hey, come on into my office and let's talk. You give us, I remember him going over a couple of trades that he was working on and actually him telling us details and stuff we never did later on. And uh, then the first time we wrote something <laughs> critical about the team, he's like, what'd you write that for? And, you know, he'd get super mad at you. Um, and I'd say, look, well, up here, you know, we, we, we can be buddies, but I'm not supposed to cheer for the team. I don't, I don't know if you know that, but you know, I can't, there's a saying, no cheering in the press box. And I think finally after a year or two, he understood more what, what our jobs entailed. And, uh, 
there was a little bit of a a break as far as the real closeness that we might have had at first, but that was bound to happen. The, the bottom line is though, the Pierre was always professional to be around. He never stabbed you in the back. Uh, he never held grudges or leaked stuff to the the other paper. Um, you know, he'd said nothing to anybody <laughs> after a while, which was fine as long as it's on equal terms. Um, it was great, and he. Uh, but he was he was always uh, boy. He he always said you know oh, I didn't I I don't read the papers. He always everybody says that of course, but they always do. Um, but he always he would always say something like, oh, I didn't read it, but somebody told me about this, you know. And, and then of course he'd shite chapter and verse everything you wrote. <laughs> and uh, I'd always yeah. be like, Pierre, I thought you said you didn't read the papers. Oh, I don't, I don't. It's just somebody told me. And uh, but yeah, he read the papers and he called me up many, many, many. He woke me up many, many mornings uh, at six a.m. with phone calls. And I would just, I go, I think I'd, I'd, I'd knew I'd be conditioned after a while. Like, uh oh, I knew that's Pierre. He's mad about something. And sure enough, he was. And he'd say, you know, what is this shit you write? And he would just go on for like the next four or five minutes screaming. And then he'd just hang up. And before I could even say a word back. And then you'd see him later at the office, though, or at the game. And he'd be like, hey, Adrian. You know, he was always, he'd forget about it. There were no grudges. Um, you know, he knew that he, he, it's not like he instantly forgot it, but he, he was always, he never, he never, it was never personal for long. He never held a grudge and he was always professional and uh, professionally courteous there than the next day. Everything was always forgotten. That's what I, another thing I always liked about him. Yeah, it's a, <clears throat> it's a little more corporate atmosphere these days. Um, oh, you think? You know, uh, you I can tell you I've never had Joe Sackett call me at 6 a.m. and be upset about something that I wrote. Yeah, hardly me either. I mean, he's gotten mad at me a couple times, but he doesn't call me like Pierre did. Uh, Pierre knew my home number, and he called it plenty, believe me. <laughs> or I was in a hotel many times, too. And off, those days, we always I always stayed in the same hotel as the Avs. And uh, sure enough... That phone ring in the hotel room at 6 a.m. That was Pierre. And he would get clippings sent to him by that hour. And uh, sure enough, I remember there was one little, one little line I wrote about. You know, I used to do these little preview boxes for the night's game, you know, like, and then spotlight a, a player on the other team. Yeah. And I remember one of them in Edmonton was Anson Carter, who was used, used to be property of the Nordiques. Uh, and they traded him. Uh, what? And I wrote something like a one-line thing about, well, it didn't quite work out trading Anson Carter or something like that for the for the Avalanche. And I swear to God, the phone rang at 6 a.m. and it was like, what is this shit you <laughs> all about? Anson Carter and he's. In, uh, I'm like, here he's he's had a good, you know. You didn't get that much anything for him, and he's had a good, pretty good career. You know what am I supposed to say? Hey, you know, but that you know again, forgotten. He didn't like criticism. Who does? Yeah. Um, but over the years, especially later in his later years, he he mellowed out a lot more, and he he always he would tell you, "Look, I mean, you were right. Half the shit, you know." He'd say something like that. He wouldn't come out and say it publicly. But he'd say, "Yeah, you know." I, he said he screwed up on a couple few deals and 
that's just the way it goes. And he's, you know, he wasn't too big to admit that. I mean, especially as often as a, as he dealt, you were gonna, you're bound to get some wrong. Yeah, I mean, the law of averages. I mean, you know, the jury trade obviously was his worst. Um, but at the time, I mean, Derek Morris was really had a good reputation as a young up and coming D man, and yep. <laughs> um, it they had a vacancy that, in that three headed monster that he really loved as Bork Foot Blake. Well, Bork's gone, and at that time, you know, Derek Morris looked very attractive on paper. You know, young two way D man who could play for years and years well jury's a heavy price to give up but you know we got to give him get you know right so obviously in hindsight it it didn't work Derek Morris wasn't very good here and wasn't very good in the rest of his career really but um he was a very promising guy at with Calgary at that time um and, you know it wasn't a horrible player but uh yeah so that's right you can't hit the can't hit a home run every at bat yeah I mean Derek Morris's career year came as a member of the Abs. Yeah, he wasn't that bad actually that first year, right? Yeah, I mean he was. I remember thinking, well, where's the physicality we we heard about, or you know, the the guy who pretty tough in the corners and stuff. I'm like, all right, I guess they that that was a lie, but yeah, he, could he had skate, a, he could skate, he, had a, he, could shoot, he had a good hard shot, you know. He was on the ice for Patrick Waugh's last goal against, staring in the net. I do remember that, too. But, yeah, hey. Um, yeah, like I said, yeah. uh, you know, the other deal that, you know, I mean, there were a couple other little bad ones. Bates Battaglia for Adam Verbata. That was not yeah. a good one. But, hey, right? I mean, at that time, too, Bates Battaglia was a nice-looking player on paper, too. He just played in the Stanley Cup final. Yeah, he had a... Bates Battaglia had had a 20-goal year the year yeah. before he got traded. Yeah, for. no, they thought, oh, this guy's a power forward. He's, you know, he's, he's a, you know, going to, what a deal for the Avs. Adam Rabada is just a, you know, check kid. He's kind of talented, but oh, well, it'd be just a dime a dozen. Well, yeah, I think he went on to score 300 goals. Probably he played about, like 1,200 games? <laughs> yeah. I mean, even when he gets it wrong, though, he ended up flipping Bataglia for Steve Konowalchuk, which looked yeah, good that's right. the injury, but, well, like not really an He's, injury. He but. rescued that trade. That's right. Like, Kano was a really good player for the Oz until, unfortunately, he got a heart ailment and couldn't play anymore. Yeah. Uh, so, Lacroix from Quebec, from Montreal, really, uh, have, has he ever really talked about that? Originally being the GM of technically the Quebec Nordiques, and Let's face it, the trade he's most going to be remembered for is probably the Patrick Watt trade getting him out of Montreal. So were the ties pretty deep there, or, or how did he manage that with the team moving to Colorado? Well, yeah, no, he was more from Montreal, and, and that's where, you know, he grew up a Habs fan. and um, that's But so I don't think he ever had the quite the guilt complex about Quebec that he might have had if, say, Montreal had. I know this though. He he had no love lost toward the Montreal Canadiens though when he became a GM because I do think that uh, there was a time, if I read right, that he was under consideration to be be the GM of the Canadiens uh, at that time. But they chose, you know, Rajon Uh Might be off a little of that timeline, but I think I think Pierre felt slighted by that, uh, and uh, I know that he never. Uh, 
he never uh, had that great affection again for Montreal Canadians. Um, I think he still liked the city of Montreal, but uh, he, uh, you know, he only spent the one year in Quebec. Um, he, uh, you know, he, he, he never wanted, you know, that team to leave. Obviously he's, nobody did. I mean, there was a really sad moment for so many, you know, people there, but, uh, you know, it was business and they couldn't afford it anymore. And, uh, uh, off he came. I mean, uh, he, uh, he really though took to Denver like a, a duck to water. He, he loved the city right away. Uh, I think he felt reborn in a lot of ways coming out here. Um, he could be somebody brand new and nobody knew all his baggage or name and everything back home. Like it did in a small place like Montreal. And he, uh, he really thrived here. He, uh, you know, he was, a, he was, you know, I, I remember him talking so much about the big beauteous mountains and all the big fresh air and everything. And he just, uh, he couldn't believe it. You know, uh, I mean, uh, nobody could from Quebec when they came out here, it was like this, this, uh, scenic you know, vista that they read out of a storybook or something that they'd only heard about. Well, once they came out here, it was unbelievable. They all loved it. Um, uh, and they liked, frankly, they'll tell you privately, <laughs> They like being in Denver a lot more than they like being in Quebec. Um, just the weather alone. I mean, the weather in Quebec is brutal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, good fans, good hockey city, obviously. But, boy, they like being in Denver a lot more than living in Quebec. A quick question from the chat here before we take our second break. Uh, why was he so quick to trade people that went to arbitration? Well, I think the true answer is that he did take some things personally. Uh, he, uh, he, he was not a guy that, you know, if you crossed him, he, uh, you know, it's one thing to cross him or something you wrote or anything. He could get over that pretty quick, but he really did believe in this concept of family. And if you were disloyal to the family somehow, you know, you could get, you were, you know, you'd be Fredo out in the, out on the lake, you know? <laughs> Um, you know, he, he was the godfather who would order the hit, you know, he, uh, you had to be very loyal to him. And sometimes loyalty was a one way street, maybe with him. Um, it, it may have been a bad quality that he had, especially in some of that, those earlier years. Uh, but it, it is a fact that everybody who held out on him, even for one day, always mysteriously was an ex av by like no later than another season, you know? You go right down the list. Scott Young, Kaminsky, Ozelinch, all those guys that held out, even for a little bit, Drury, um, were gone. Um, just like almost to a T, every single one of them. Uh, um, and, uh, you know, he, I don't think he, you know, did it purely out of spite, but I don't, you know, once he crossed Pierre, it was tough. I mean, you had to, you really had to um, say your amends or sorries, and, and maybe he'd take you back. But he, uh, uh, there's no question about it that I think you know it's I, I don't I can't sit there and say for sure that he did that because I you know he's never said that or anything. But it's just the fact of the matter that yeah, guys who who uh, he crossed the line loyalty wise, uh, he somehow found expendable after a while. 
All right. Well, we can take our second period break on that note. Dater, you mentioned that Pierre was a little bit of a, a gambler himself, at least when it came to trades and the like. So if you want to make a surefire bet with DraftKings Sportsbook, basketball is returning very, very soon. And they are giving you a spread of 75 points on opening night. So if a team loses by less than 75 points, you will win this bet. Basically like trading for Patrick Waugh. Pretty free money at that point. Highly recommend you get in on it. Go to DraftKings Sportsbook to check out that bet and all of their other odds boosts and other options as well. A ton of awesome opportunities to win yourself a little bit of money on DraftKings, which is super safe and reliable, making it easy for you to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code DNVR when you sign up to get a 75-point spread on opening night for a shot to double your money. Just double your money. Uh, it's it's be make any kind of reasonable bet for the seventy five point spread, and and you've doubled your money. Super easy. Again, the DNVR code to get in on that opportunity for opening night only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be twenty one or older. Colorado only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call one eight hundred five two two four seven hundred. Third period of the DNVR Avalanche podcast with Rudo, AJ, and Adrian Dater here talking Pierre Lacroix, the uh, pretty squarely at this point, the best GM in Avs history, not by even a close margin. Sackick maybe someday will get there, but right now it's not close. So uh, an interesting topic in the chat. Do we all believe that, that he should be in the Hall of Fame? Well, Glad you asked that because I think the answer is absolutely yes. I think it's a joke that he's not in the Hall of Fame. Um, I uh, I'll share something here where it, uh, I think I've said it probably, but uh, um, I actually wrote a letter to the Hockey Hall of Fame on behalf of Pierre. Uh, Eric Lacroix's son asked me to write it, and it was an honor to write it. And uh, I wish I had a copy of that still. Um, because I spelled out all the reasons why he should be in the hall. But, uh, um, you know, just the numbers alone. Um, you know, Ken Holland just made it, right, for being, you know, the big genius innovator who – I'm sorry, I'm going to have a little anti-Red Wing bile come out here. But, you know, Ken Don't Holland – sorry about that. Yeah. Magical three-on-three overtime. Okay, great. That's That's a good idea. We're glad we have it. Um, but, uh, you know, for him to go in as a builder and ahead of Pierre Lacroix, I thought was an insult. Um, not just because of what Pierre did as a GM, but as a true builder of the game, he was a very instrumental in building the game before he was a GM. You know, he was a high-powered hockey agent who who really did a lot, especially for the French-Canadian players, uh, who traditionally gotten screwed a lot of times at the bargaining table back <clears> in the old days. Um a lot of people will tell you there's a definite, there was a definite bias against French Canadian people in the hockey world back in those days, and uh, Pierre was one of those guys who came in and righted a lot of wrongs when it came to especially salaries, and uh, then he comes in as a as a GM and did what he did nine straight division titles his first nine years on the job, uh, two Stanley Cups, six Western Finals in the first seven years in town. Um, never had a losing season, you know, um, playoffs in every year, but one, I believe. So 
Um, <laughs> he his credentials are there are, are fantastic to be included in the hall. And, you know, he hasn't gotten a sniff, I don't think so far. And, uh, you know, he's been out of the league technically out of the, out of the job for 14 years. Um, you know, where's the hall votes for this guy? You know, I think it should, it's an absolute travesty that he's not in. And I, you know, I, I would hate for it. The fact that it, you know, his death makes him become more, you know, under focus for this and, he, but he should have been in earlier. You know, it's too bad he never got in while he was alive because, uh, you know, I think they will change their minds and put him in at some point. But, uh, you know, it's a shame that we had to have, you know, sort of this sympathy thing all of a sudden for him to get his true debt recognition, I think. Uh, and he still hasn't gotten it formally. So, yeah, the answer to your question, though, yes, he should be in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Do you guys agree? Um, I've gone back and forth on it a lot over the years. I think where the argument, I think where over time you won me over, uh, is that the, the progress that he made for players as an agent, um, we think about it when we think about the term, like getting in as a builder, you know, where you look at like a guy like David Poyle, who's been a GM for like 30 years and has as many Stanley cup rings as I do. So, uh, you know, that's for, we, we kind of take for granted the success that he had in Colorado. Like it was entitled because those teams were just so good, but he was a big reason those teams were as good as they were. And when you look at it, it's hard. Like winning a Stanley cup is a lot easier when you have Joe Sackett and Peter Forsberg. Like and Pat and Patrick Waugh. You go out and you trade for Patrick Waugh. It's a lot like it's a lot easier when you have those guys there. Sure. But if you look at it, the 95 team, the 95 team and the 2001 team were way different teams. They were different eras of teams. There were a lot of guys from the 95 96 Avalanche that were gone and not part of the 2001 Stanley Cup team. He had the core guys. He recognized, hey, here are the Hall of Famers. I'll build around these cats. And that's what he did. And he transitioned them into a different era of guys like Chris Drury and Milan Hayduk and Alex Tangay. And, you know, Martin Skula was on that team. And Scott Parker was on that team. And, uh, you know, then Blake and Bork and, you know, homegrown Dan Hynote and Billy Niemann, you know, those guys, those guys were all guys that that was his doing. He built that, that, that club. Uh, and so it wasn't like that Stanley cup just fell out of the sky and was entitled, you know, was just had the Colorado avalanche's name on it before the season happened. You know, they lost, they lost Peter Forsberg in the playoffs and had to, and had to adjust to that. To, to life without Peter Forsberg and then to go take the defending cup champs to seven games without that guy on their roster was a testament to the team that he built. Yeah, look, I mean, it's a, look at the two big deals too, that, you know, resulted in, uh, you can say are resulted in cups, Patrick Waugh, but people forget that the, the throw-ins that he got were huge additions. Mike Keene, was yeah. a huge addition in that trade. He probably had no business getting Mike Kane in that deal, but somehow he convinced the Wool to throw him in too. And he became—he was a huge part of that team. Yeah. Uh, 
And uh, then in 01, when they did lose Forsberg, very valuable part of that lineup after that to fill in was Steve Reinprecht, who yep. was a throw into the Blake trade. And you thought, who's, who's Steve Reinprecht? Well, he became a very valuable, important player on that team that they may not have won the cup without. Um, so, yeah, it wasn't just the big names. It was Pierre thought the whole trade through. And he got as much as he could. And, uh, um, you know, even the you can technically say, <laughs> this is going to be make you guys laugh, of course, but you can say that the Theo Fleury trade did result in a Stanley Cup for the Colorado Avalanche. Chris Dingman, part of that Fleury trade, was on the 0-1 Cup team. And he did make a very big play in game six that won yeah, that game six in New Jersey. That if you watch the tape, that goal by Adam Foote does not happen without Chris Dingman's play. He pinned basically Scott Gomez along the boards, forced a turnover by Gomez that led to the steal by Foote and the goal. So, yeah, another cup for, for Pierre. The Flurry trade was a cup winner, right? I I submit. Well, you heard it here first. Home run for Pierre. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, and again, like people kind of look back and they're, oh well, the Avs got to Colorado and they were just they were full of superstars. So, but I mean, you look few, at the yeah. run, you look at that run that they went on, where they won the Stanley Cup and then so they won two Stanley Cups, they lost four conference finals. Oh no. Oh, they got screwed on one of them. I mean, they should have won a one more cup. Obviously, they you know the one in two thousands a year that uh, that's the one that got away. Or ninety nine, you're gonna say either one really. But uh, yeah, but I mean, the, yeah. consider that kind of run. Your two Stanley Cup wins, that's great. But yeah. they got to the conference finals four other years with only the one year in ninety seven ninety eight when they I believe they lost to Edmonton in the quarterfinals. Yep, they lost in seven games, and uh, Brian Burke helped screw the Avalanche out of that series by suspending Joe Sackick for game one of that series for an absolutely ridiculous nothing hit against Chris Draper, where he was trying to avoid Draper, and they suspend Joe Sackick for a playoff game. Well, they lost that game. Game one to the Oilers, and they lost game seven. So, Brian Burke... uh, yeah, here's to you. You look at that time too, and for a lot of those years, the conference finals, the West was really just oh, a Stanley I know. Cup. I know. Can you imagine if they played either Carolina or Buffalo? And either? I mean, just yeah. a sweep. You know, um, would not have been close. I mean, Hasek <laughs> probably would have stole the game, but uh, yeah, that was. I know, and the funny thing is, I mean, they beat Detroit both years to get to those finals, and. Uh, you know, you thought it was over. Like, ah, we just got Dallas to beat now. But friggin' Eddie Belfour, you know, and the Avs just, yeah, I just had Murphy's Law that first year. Kind of everything that could go wrong. Game seven did go wrong, and then uh, pretty much the same thing the next year. I mean, Dead Marsh hits the pipe ten seconds to go, and uh, Bork Bork shot from the point. Dead Marsh tip off the post. I remember being right there in reunion arena and think it's in we're going to ot they're gonna smoke them in ot i firmly believe they would have too and no the puck skitters away 
And we all had to, I remember having to trudge down the the stairs at reunion where you, you had, that's the only way you get down to the locker room was through the arena lower bowl. And uh, everybody just screaming Eddie's better. The whole, it was just super annoying and awful. Um, Super annoying and awful is a great way to describe the, the entire Dallas Stars existence. Uh, yeah, they were just brutal to watch, weren't they? There were so many good players. I'm not taking anything away from Ken Hitchcock, or the, but boy, they just they were just thugs, right? Richard, Richard Mappachuk, Darian Hatcher, yep. just thugs on the ice. Just horse tackling Peter Forsberg anytime yep. he had the puck. Now, dirty hits on Milan Hayduk and stuff like that. You know, screw the stars. Yeah, um, I brought I brought it up just because it's it's an incredible run of success. Uh, whether or not they should have won another cup, I mean, I think a lot of us feel that way. But to to experience that level of success, not only in the regular season, to win your division every year for almost an entire decade. But then to also translate that into postseason, you know, the, yep. we just took we we took for granted the second round was a thing that happened in Colorado. Yeah, the season started and you just put the abs in into the second round every year, and then you would go from there because that it just always happened, you yep. know. And then when the abs when when the current iteration of the abs won a playoff series, it was the first time in a decade they'd been yeah, in the second all, round, and it was like. I mean, oh my our, God. Heads, our heads blew off. I know. Right. It was, we almost threw a parade. <laughs> they for that. won. They won around. Right. Remember that in Calgary. Like, God, I can't believe this. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we had, we had that, you know, just to, we took for granted just how good, how good those teams were and the, the level of success that they had. And you, I mean, under different head coaches with very different rosters. The the ties, you know, what were, what are the variables? What are the constants? Well, one of the constants was Pierre Lacroix. Yep. And all all that he did for the Avs, all the success that he had, it's still it's still a model that that teams try to recreate. They, you know, even even the Blackhawks, they had three cups in in their in their little dynastic run, but it's still they were only just on that level of postseason success that Colorado had. I mean, they had the extra cup, obviously they win that, but in terms of how yeah, good I, they were in the playoffs, it, it, it was Colorado I mean, that they were trying to live up to. Look at LA in that time frame too. They'd win a cup and then they'd miss the playoffs. <laughs> right. So, yep. it, and you know, as a kid growing up, kind of to AJ's point from the ages of five to 15, if the Avs didn't make the conference finals, it was a disappointment. <laughs> like, Oh, I know. I mean, it was unbelievable when they didn't. It was like, I still couldn't believe that one year they didn't in 98. It was like, oh, my God, this is not supposed to happen. But, yeah. you know, and then the next four years, though, they were in the Western Finals just like like they're always supposed to be, you know. <laughs> what do I do with my life in the middle of May? Oh, I know. Yeah, I, mean, I, remember, I remember thinking, you know, this is, you know, I'm going to be busy for the next three months, guaranteed, and that's the, that's the way it is. I mean, it's playoff season for the Avs, and I'm going to be working till June, and that's just the way it was. Kind of, kind of the way that we're approaching life today. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah, that's right. There's no hockey. God. Yeah, oh. but when uh, when it does come back, we are fully expecting that we are not going to be done in the first round. I mean, we can talk some abs here for sure. I, I need to plug in my laptop. By the way, can we take a one minute break while I do that? 
Absolutely. Yeah. I'm, sure, have, I'm sure we have a we have a yeah. read. Strava Craft Coffee, baby. There you go. <laughs> the CBD infused coffee that has really changed lives. You can now subscribe and save 20% with a subscription. We know a ton of you have taken advantage of our DNVR21 time code, but now you can save 20% forever and you'll never have to put your credit card info in again or anything like that. You have the option of getting coffee every two, three, four, six, or eight weeks with that 20% off subscription deal. It's awesome. Highly recommend the stuff. They have amazing flavors. I think I already mentioned their uh, their s'mores flavor. They have a, some other ones too. I think they just have a regular marshmallow flavor as well. When I get back to Colorado, I'm trying the s'mores. Yeah, deliciousness. Yeah. I'm trying it. I'm, I I struggle with the coffee, but I'm trying it. There you go. So StravaCraftCoffee.com to get your twenty percent off. There as, as we lost Dater for a second. Hopefully he comes back. Once his, his laptop situation is all sorted out. But Data versus technology is one of the rivalries I do miss getting to be a part of every day. True. <laughs> we should uh, put him and Drew in the same room and just see what happens to the electronics. Oh, I don't want to be in that room with technology. <laughs> those, are, those are the two people with the worst technology luck I've ever been, been, been around. Yeah, no good. Stuff just, stuff just breaks because they're coolers. They're, they're just in there and for whatever reason. <laughs> technology the way it goes so yeah i mean obviously i don't have i think i think the pierre as a builder conversation is is interesting because what constitutes a builder and when they did put putting putting ken holland in i think is you look at that and you say well okay well uh, i've always kind of been on the fence with lacroix uh resume for that Hall of fame credentials but when you throw ken holland in there it's like not anymore yeah now i mean you open up that door pierre pierre should be following ken holland in there anyway the fact that pierre has to follow ken holland is gross is, is there a case all. that ken holland is the harold baines of of the nhl hall of fame <laughs> yes absolutely right. okay just checking Dater, yeah, you're, you're back with us here. Yeah, sorry. I just bought this cheap laptop, of course, and I misjudge how fast the battery runs out when it's not plugged in. You guys, you may not know this, Rudo, but I'm uh, AJ knows I'm kind of cheap, maybe is a word. I'd like to say frugal. Um, and when it comes to laptops, he's cheap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Guilty. AD loves that one hundred and fifty dollar meetup in a back alley on Craigslist deal. That's that's how I bought like three of my laptops. That's not even a joke. That's not even. A, I mean, that's dead on. Um, yeah, I bought another cheap laptop I got on eBay, and it's it weighs like forty five pounds. No joke. Right. Um, and the battery, yeah, it's pathetic. So had to be plugged in. Apologies, guys, but I'm back. No yeah. problem. Oh, Glad to hear the little trashing of Ken Hall in there. Got to get it where we can, you know. I mean, didn't mean, didn't mean so much disrespect to Ken Holland as I did to the to the guys who vote the Hall of Famers in because, I mean, Ken Holland's had a great career too, but it, how do you separate his his success? Look how he left the wings. Look how look at the state he left the Red Wings in. <laughs> yeah, talk about a guy who managed poorly in those last few years. Right. Well, and he managed a ton of his career. So much of so much of his career was defined by finding a, a Hall of Fame player later on. I mean, pulling Pavel Datsuk and Henrik oh, Zetterberg out of nowhere. Yeah, 
gave them that second era. And like, yeah, you get credit for that, of course. But had they expected those guys would have been Hall of Fame players, they wouldn't have taken them in the seventh round or whatever. They would have drafted them much earlier. They got lucky. Okay. You get lucky. Okay to say that. Yeah, it's okay to say it. And uh, yeah, he made some good moves. He's a good, good, good man. I know Ken Holland. He's good. But yeah, like, come on. I mean, uh, he he managed terribly these last few years. He uh, he Awful. had a, he had an open checkbook for a owner for a few years where they just went out and bought whatever they wanted. You know. Um, so yeah, he hadn't, he hadn't done anything in Edmonton yet. He's like Brian Cashman of the Yankees. You know, he just so easy to be a great GM when you, hey, I can spend $40 million a year on some third, you know, number three starter, you know. Honestly, it just felt like they weren't willing to commit to a rebuild. They spent like the better part of this decade trying to hold on to a playoff streak with no chance of actually winning anything. Yeah. Well, their last several years of making the postseason, it was like they would squeak in, they'd get rolled, and then let's all move on. Yeah. And like, as much as I hated them seeing make the postseason, I did enjoy watching them get bounced and be irrelevant playoff wise. Because I was like, "Great, you're Eastern Minnesota. This is this is wonderful." Yeah, for sure. Ed. Times were different twenty years ago, I guess. In the NHL, Jacuzzi twice. Yep. Yeah. Now they have Tyler. Yeah, now they got Tyler. Just as scummy with that punch on Matt Calvert. Yeah. Well, Matt Calvert thought that was great, by the way. It, Matt Calvert would. Yeah. I I tried talking to him about it, and he he was just like, it was awesome. That's what hockey is. Like, <laughs> what a weirdo. Oh, man. I hope we see Matt Calvert on the ice here soon. I I just I miss the guys. I didn't AD, I know we're kind of done. We're kind of we've kind of wrapped up the Pierre conversation, but no, you just miss about. being in a locker room. Oh hell, I mean, you know, we're still not even gonna experience that till next fall. I mean, there's no way we're gonna be in the locker rooms this season. Yeah. Um you know, I fully expect not to have talked to a hockey player face to face until from this past March until this coming next fall. Uh, well, and, and even this past March was so weird because they stopped letting us in the locker room and they would like pull guys out. I mean, I thought that they may, I still, maybe they'll do that. Maybe they will allow players to come out and talk um, because let's face it. I mean, I don't think anybody knew in those early days about masks and feeling safe around other people at all. You know, everybody had to be locked away. I think people, sort of i hope feel now that you know you can be around each other with a mask on but you know that's we're also talking the super paranoid ultra legalistic world of pro sports where you know they don't want any tom dick or harry to sweep through the security and throw it all off somehow it's easier to just keep us all out and do everything by zoom probably i mean that's that's still kind of what i think is going to happen you know, yeah, I'm, I'm dreading stairs and you know, talking on Zoom. I mean, it's still amazing to me that you know, I think you guys knew that I went to Edmonton for playoffs and uh, you know, go all the way there. And, uh, I never saw a player once, I saw him on the ice down below, yeah. but I, uh, I, I never once was able to talk to a player face to face, even though I was all the way there. Um, 
it's a uh, it's a crazy world man i tell you uh it's uh i just hope i'm just i'm just like you guys probably i'm just i'm just hoping we get the goddamn announcement for the season oh and, and we get this thing rolling somehow next month yeah i mean, I mean personally i need training camp to start a little later than january 3rd but it'll be fine if it does why do you need that later I'm, I, I don't get back to the States until the 5th. Oh, I didn't know you were leaving. You're leaving for uh, north of the border, I take it, maybe. I'm I'm in Winnipeg right now, man. Oh, you're in Winnipeg right now? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I've been oh. here for... Jeez, when did I get here? November 6th? Yeah, I got here November 6th. Really? Yeah. Holy smokes, I didn't know that. I guess I yeah, I had to get a special exemption from the Canadian government to get up here. It was a good time. Holy smokes. Wow. Well, uh, geez, I, uh, that's amazing. I can't believe you're in Winnipeg. Wow. That's cool. Uh, it is quite cool. Uh, I bet you're pretty cold. It, uh, it is one degrees right now. (laughs) It is the coldest place on earth. There's no, no joke at all. I tell you, this is Z was telling me last night that this is the, uh, this is the warmest Winnipeg winter since the thirties. I bet. I mean, one sounds like heaven. I remember being there a couple of years ago. Minus 30, minus 40. That's normal. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, maybe you can uh, talk Patrick Line into taking a sweetheart deal to come to the ads, maybe. Huh? Hasn't he been rumored to be on the move for like three years now? Yeah, anytime, anytime I try and bring up Patrick Line in this house, I get shut down. So, <laughs> I... Uh, see? See? So, I... Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't need to pick a fight with the significant other over Patrick. Yeah, we don't need Patrick Liney. It's it's Nick we, Ehlers that I try and hold my ground on. We, uh, while I'm here, I mean, I listen to the podcast. You got not everyone, but I've heard. You know, but I, do we think that uh, you know? Um, what's the number one thing I want to ask you guys? Uh, do we think that? Um, do we think that the top six they have on defense right now is is good enough, A, and B? Should we still think hard, long and hard, about letting a Timmons or a Byram maybe steal one of those top six jobs? To yep. me, that's still a huge thing that I'm always interested in. Is can maybe, maybe, can we just, maybe, can Ian Cole maybe lose his job somehow? And then, you know, just if the guy has an amazing camp, you know? Uh, I, think you think? I think that's where we're headed, to be honest with you. Yep. Like, you think yeah. that's, by the end of the season, we'll have Timmons and or uh, Byram in there and not Ian Cole? Depending on how injuries I, go, yeah. Yeah, I think I mean, Byram, yeah. I, I think Byram's going to get every opportunity to, to steal somebody's job. I fully expect some time, some type of seventh D rotation, whether it's Cole and Byram or, or maybe Graves gets a night yeah. so often or whatever. But with the compressed schedule, obviously they have to play more guys. Uh, yeah. But uh, see, I, but they're gonna have to do the. Uh, I mean, they're gonna have to burn the year of ELC off of Byram, right? But that doesn't matter so much without expansion anymore after this year. Right. Yeah, I mean the the big thing with DLC is that now they have Byram under contract for less than a million dollars. Yeah. So you yeah. won't do you want to wait as long as you can like they did with Cout, or do they want to burn it this year because they think that he can help them this year? 
if they if they are convinced that he can help them do the thing, then he's clearly a skill upgrade. He's the biggest skill upgrade that almost any NHL team can add to their defense just by promoting a player. Yeah, he's one. He, I, I, for my money, he's the best defenseman in the world, not in the NHL. So. Yeah, we all talk about Max contract as, as the big one, but this is the one year the Evs have before they have to pay Kale McCarr. So, yeah. right. Yep. Um, um, yeah, the D is something I'm still, you know, to me, that's still. And AJ, we're going to have a gentleman's bet here. Maybe we can bet a dollar. Uh, I'm going to say, we talked about this on text the other night. I'm going to say that Ryan Graves has a better year than Devontae's and makes the Owls think long and hard about not exposing him. Now, I do not expect to see Devontae's be exposed at all, period, no matter what. But, ah, I mean, to lose a Graves to nothing for nothing in expansion maybe, uh, boy, that's – I think he's going to have a hell of a year. Um, I think – you're going to be coming around the more to my side of the thinking saying, boy, I was wrong about it. Ryan Graves. Dana was right as always. He was right that Graves got to even another level. And uh, boy, am I glad I didn't listen to him and, and expose him. And, you know, we're going to find a way to keep Ryan Graves by hook or by crook. You agree, right, AJ? Yeah, I mean, I don't. You know <laughs> that I don't. <laughs> You're like, did somebody just speak? With some yeah. man talking. Yeah, I think uh, I think those technical issues are coming back. Boy, that <laughs> laptop really is junk, man. I can't believe no, I, uh, we just did an entire week on the expansion draft. Uh, if you wanna, if you want, we can we can set up a day for you to come back and to make your Ryan Graves argument. You saying? All right, I got so many podcasts on my to do to listen list that it's uh, no, but. Boy, AJ, the, the the lack of respect for a great player like Ryan Graves, man, you are going to be eating your words. I mean, okay, the, the plus minus leader in the NHL. Oh, yeah. Hey, that's the Bud Light plus minus leader, mind you. <laughs> People's half your audience just heads exploded when I said plus minus. I know, but you know, look, hey, you know, there's a reason why you're a plus and the reason why you're a minus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> When you play next to Kale McCarr. It's easy to be a plus. <laughs> Kale McCarr, boy, there's a can the guy can the guy uh are you guys worried like I am he's gonna be injury prone his whole career? Yes. Me too. Me too. Nah, he'd be fine. Uh, uh, I worry so. I, I worry that his his mindset and uh, his frame don't sync up well. He's got to be 100% in his own mind to be able to play. Is that what you're saying? No, I just think that he wants to go out there and he wants to crush fools, and sometimes that's going to give him shoulder problems because he may not necessarily be built for throwing big old checks all the time. Well, I think he's going to be fine too, but, yeah, I'm worried always a little bit about Kale's health. I I hope to see him uh, a little beefier this year, maybe in the upper body. Uh, Of course, I won't see him in the locker room. I know that probably, but maybe he'll take the shirt off for a post-game Zoom call or something. I mean, if he's going to give us 60 points in 60 games every year, that's fine. He can miss 20. Yeah, and he's going to – I would – I think he's going to do more than that. I mean, he's going to be in 60. I mean, he's going to get – I think he's a chance that he could get a hundred points in a in an eighty two game season. I really do. 
Yeah, see, we've talked about this a lot on the pod. Both Rudo and I think he has a 100-point season in his career. Well, I'm in agreement there. I mean, to me, he's just the most breathtaking young talent I've seen in, in many years. Uh, yep, we all agree. Just the first game. Remember that first shift against Calgary? I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. Remember how excited I got when I saw JT Comfort for the first time, AJ, and you probably had played him up to me? And I I'm do. like, wow, I didn't know how good he was. I hadn't been around the team in probably a year to that point. Um, that's like 10 times what I felt with Kale. Hopefully we yeah. see JT get back to his game, right? He had a pretty good playoff, right? But not not real good. He he was really good in the first half, but he was not good against Dallas. Uh, yeah. Well, I think he only had two assists in the entire series against Dallas. Yeah, I know, and that's yes, weird. I mean, I expected him to have a much bigger playoff than he did. Um, dis- dis- disappointing, but uh, yep. Uh, we got new hook on the way. He's going to be dynamite starting next year. So, well, uh, AD, it sounds like it sounds like you have abs thoughts. So we'll have to get you to come back for a different show. Oh, I got one that's not dedicated to Pierre. All right, I'll take yeah. that offer, and uh, maybe I can get you to come on. Uh, this little podcast I have now and then too. Uh, yeah, you uh, you let me know, man. I'm doing a lot of sitting around right now, so. Yeah, well, well, thanks for having me, guys, and uh, yeah, stay warm there in uh, Winnipeg, AJ. I don't yeah. want to hear how you're. I don't want to really necessarily hear how you're keeping warm, maybe, but uh, just let it go with that. Uh, heat. Houses, houses, <laughs> houses have heat. Okay, we'll leave it at that. Yeah, right, uh, I'm sure. I'm sure all our all our viewers already know. But Dater, if you want to tell the good people where they can find you. Oh well, that's gracious, you guys. Well, yeah, I just didn't kick him out right now. <laughs> Daddy, where did they go? <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, yeah. So I run a little site called ColoradoHockeyNow.com. Uh, come on over and check it out if you want. Got plenty of uh, free content on there uh, at times and. Uh, Oh, by the way, I write a little gambling stuff, too, for a place called boogies.com. Uh, guys, I don't know about you, but I, I, I've taken all you guys up on your DraftKings promo offers. I'm, uh, I, I hope the word degenerate is not my last name soon. Uh, definitely since gambling came into Colorado legally, I've, I've definitely partaken a little more of this, uh, this thing called sports betting. Uh, had a pretty good week, too. Uh, Buffalo Bills made me a little money last night, so um, yeah, I can see how gambling is uh, is a is slightly catchy at times. I, I never made my first bet till this year. Uh, now I'm like, I got like four sports books on my phone right now. Um, so you know, you uh, when the world <laughs> opens back up, man, you should come down to the bar and bet on every pitch during a, a Rockies oh, game. Like, man. Oh my god, that. I I know it's to that point you can bet on every pitch. Yeah, we were we literally did it for like th- what three or four innings of a game. Yeah. We were betting on every single. Yeah, pitch. I'm gonna. I think I'll uh, I'll probably never get that far down the line, but uh, yeah, I, uh, I see I see the allure of gambling, especially on your phone. My God, it's easy, and uh, yeah, uh, <clears throat> it's uh, yeah. Keep those keep those promos coming. Um, uh, all those free bets I'm taking advantage of, and. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to say who I bet some money on in a prop bet for the cup, but uh, 
just yet, but I'll let you know if I come in as a winner. This coming. <laughs> All right. So there you go. Right. Be sure to check out Colorado Hockey Now. Of course, you can find us here at DNVR on the pod five days a week and all of our written and video content over at thednvr.com. For our YouTube videos like this one, be sure to like and subscribe. That helps us out a ton as well. Dater, thank you again for coming on the podcast. We are going to get out of here for the day. Of course, condolences to the LaCroix family. Uh, obviously, Pierre, big part of Avalanche history and he will certainly be missed uh, by many, many people, I'm sure. So, yeah, thoughts and all that going their way. Good vibes. And hope everyone has a good rest of their Monday. And we will talk to you all next time. first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on that's nice at caskers.com we make this experience easy caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code welcome 10 for ten dollars off your first purchase get ten dollars off your first purchase with code welcome 10 at caskers.com